Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Xvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Xvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Dan Cook, Senior Vice President of Sales and Customer Success for Lucidchart. Lucidchart is a Salt Lake City SaaS company that is changing how companies collaborate and communicate visually. Their core product, Lucidchart, is used by over 15 million users worldwide, including a very large and growing population of sales execs, sales ops, sales enablement, and professional salespeople. Lucidchart is experiencing crazy, crazy growth right now. You cannot open up a news feed without hearing about them. And we are so excited to have the architect of this growth system with us today. Dan, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Rob, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and, and big fans of you and, and the company. Well, thank you. We're excited. You guys are having so much growth happen. Uh, Lucidchart is someone who was actually recommended to me more than once to have on the show. I'm, I'm really grateful to have you with us. Can you, for those people that maybe don't turn their newsfeed on as often as I do, can you give them that kind of update on who Lucidchart is and, and really maybe more interesting for me, what it is you're doing for sales leaders and salespeople that's so exciting right now? Yeah, sure. Um, again, thanks for having me. I think to, to me, the, the core tenet of Lucidchart is the idea that people think and communicate and collaborate better when it's done in a visual way. And so if you think about what that means, I mean, you go back, you go back in time to our, our caveman ancestors who scribbled on walls to communicate ideas. Our brains are really hardwired to, to, to consume and, and communicate information that way. So what Lucidchart does for our users is it, allow, it gives them a canvas where they can effect effectively share anything from simple, uh, you know, easy ideas to really complex uh, components of what they're trying to do or build and to do it in a very collaborative way. It's a cloud-based application, very Google Doc-esque in its look and feel. And basically what it's done is it's allowed our users to, to feel like they can share complex ideas in a visual way instead of having to write things down or, or you know, build PowerPoint presentations for every single thing they're trying to communicate. From, from a sales, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, thank goodness someone tried to solve that problem. Right. That's why PowerPoint need not apply to everything anymore, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, it's particularly in sales. I mean, if you think about all of the different things that are happening on any given sales team, whether it's in building process, whether it's in communicating and training on that process, whether it's in communicating complex relationships on complex deals uh, at a company that, that includes hundreds of stakeholders who you're trying to communicate with, we think Lucidchart is actually ideally positioned to help solve most of these problems, if not all of them, on some of these high growth and steady state uh, sales programs. And so we, we've, we've launched a solution recently for sales programs 
Uh, sales execs will use it to communicate process concepts and ideas. Sales enablement will use it to train on these ideas. Our sales reps will use Lucidchart to map out uh, all of the different relationships or users or, or contacts in an account that they're trying to penetrate and communicate those with their BDR or customer success colleagues. And so anyway, we're excited about that and we're excited about the really the, the way that Lucidchart can be used in a lot of diverse ways. So that's awesome. And your tool, I've seen it is fantastic. And I, there's a reason why you guys are growing so fast and you're really reinventing and changing things. I'm, I'm really excited. When we get to the end, we'll make sure that we give people lots of ways to get more of you and more of Lucidchart. But what I want to, before we really dive into how you've driven this growth, Dan, could you just give us a, a really quick overview? Our, our listeners love hearing how these high growth sales leaders landed where they are. Sure. Can you share your story just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my story perhaps is not uh, that traditional. So I, I grew up in New Hampshire, um, uh, a big big Red Sox fan, go Red Sox, uh, and uh, moved out to Utah. Yeah, wait I, a minute. Dodgers got to win. <laughs> the Dodgers is okay. That's what it's about. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I came out here to Utah, attended BYU, and um, graduated and actually joined an investment bank in San Francisco. So worked in investment banking, advising technology companies that were planning on going public or uh, involved in mergers and acquisition conversations, uh, you know, got my butt kicked doing that for a couple of years in San Francisco, but really learned to love uh, technology and certainly the analytics around understanding how companies are valued. Uh, I moved to Boston um, a couple of years into my career and joined a venture capital firm that invested in fast growth startups and technology businesses. And really the thesis at this firm I joined was, hey, a lot of startup companies come to us and ask for money. We want um, to find the companies that aren't coming to us and asking for money, and we want you to go and help find them. So I was effectively an SDR uh, trying to set meetings for these venture capital partners, and was the product was selling money. <laughs> and turns out selling money is a little harder than it sounds. But uh, I spent a few years doing that and really enjoyed uh, the exposure I got to just a, a whole host of different entrepreneurs, CEOs, and executives, and, of course, business models. Uh, learned a ton doing that. Uh, got the itch to actually join a growth stage company and be a part of building something. And uh, after attending business school, I uh, moved out to Utah and joined Lucid. Um, and interestingly, uh, joined in an operations role. So I was not hired to do sales here. I was hired to basically do whatever they asked me to. And uh, at the time, it was a 40-person company. About 35 of those people were engineers. And uh, they were doing the freemium thing. And uh, before long, they asked me to figure out sales. And voila, now I'm a sales leader. So you started and there was like no sales process, no sales people. It was freemium. Right. And, and you were asked to be the architect of how do we sell stuff around here? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so it was a pretty funny conversation. <laughs> uh, the, the, you'll, you'll appreciate this. The, the very first conversation I had was, hey, we haven't figured out sales. Do you want to take a stab at it? And I said, sure. And I they said, do you have any ideas off the top of your head? And I said, I have, I have an idea. Why don't, we, why don't we put a phone number on our price page? That way, in case somebody wanted to call and talk to us about our offering, you know, they had some way to reach out to us. And one of the engineers looked at me with this funny look on their face and said, you mean you actually want to talk to the customer? <laughs> and and, uh, and I, I always got a kick out of that. It was such an engineering first culture, which I have come to really appreciate, um, but certainly uh, lacked some maybe customer disposition. And, uh, and so that, you know, putting a phone number up on our page among other things has led to great success here. What can I say? <laughs> That's awesome. So when you join and, and you came up with this great idea of let's put the phone number on there and cross right. our fingers and hope the phone, hope the phone rings. Um, 
any any kind of any kind of learning moments or things that uh, you found helped you go from let's hope the phone rings to let's make the phone ring? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I really feel like I benefited, and you know, for those of the listeners who are on the earlier you know stage side of things, I felt like I really benefited from being in the trench, having to figure it out myself. You know, I think oftentimes when uh, you bring in or hire someone externally, when stuff is already uh, starting to formulate, it takes a while for that person to really get up the learning curve. And I was able to basically build the learning curve. And as a result of it, um, I felt like I really gained empathy for what it took to sell in our business. I certainly had a deep understanding of the process and the systems and everything that would be required to scale. And uh, so I, I look back at those times really with fondness because that's when I really feel like I grew up a lot. And um, certainly I think that has allowed me as we've scaled the team to have empathy with the reps that we've brought on. And, you know, they said, Hey, Dan's been there. He's done this before. He understands it. In fact, he helped build it. Uh, and I think that's really helped me. So you've been able to take that time in the trenches and scale that to over a hundred sales and success reps. Right. Um, and, and the numbers that you've driven are massive. Congrats on your most recent fundraising, by the way, that's fantastic. Oh, you know, we're excited for you on that. One of the things that I thought might be fun for this is I got to hear you speak at Dreamforce on what are some of the scars from that scaling process? Yeah. <laughs> and as you've gone through that process and you look back, I imagine that the scars are also tied to some best practices. Yeah. Could you share a few of those kind of best practices and some of the scars that it's left and some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I did share this metaphor, but I feel like oftentimes in scaling phase, uh, you need a diverse set of, of team members that can accomplish different things. So for example, you always want a few growth hackers on your team. These might not be your, your most, um, you know, tight or polished uh, members of your team, but they're the ones that are willing to go out and do the things that other people won't do. And what I found is by having a few of these, what I call pioneers on the team is there's a lot of information that can be gained uh, that allows you to then incorporate that into a scaling strategy. And at some point, of course, then you want to bring in individuals who are really good at process and driving, you know, really uh, deep engagement or at least deep streamlined process for your team to follow. So, you know, one of the scars for me has been finding that right mix uh, and diversity in your portfolio of team members. You certainly mm. need process makers. You need process executors, people who can come in on the scaling side, but you also can't underinvest in having those growth hackers who are willing to go out and figure stuff out. That, that other people wouldn't do. So Dan, I love that, how you just called it basically a portfolio of people. Right. And you know, there's tons of, of conversations around pe people with more diverse teams do better, you know, with ethnicity and gender sure. and, yeah. and all yeah. those things. But what I like about this is the view of it's a people portfolio. And just like you want a diversified portfolio for your investments, you want a diversified portfolio for your bench of people. Am I understanding you the right way? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and what I found is, you know, uh, you know, not to, to harken back to my New England roots and uh, to bring in another New England team like the Patriots, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I really look at Bill Belichick as a master at this. If you think about how he's built teams and whether you love them or you hate them, they've been successful teams. He finds players that have certain skill sets and he builds a system that puts them in the best position to maximize their skills and surrounds them with individuals in a scheme that protects them or covers perhaps for their weaknesses. And I, I really think there's wisdom in that when you're building a team, when you're scaling and trying to make sure people are in the right seat relative to their skill set, 
Don't expect the early stage growth hacker to be the guy that manages and grows your team and ends up directing and leading multiple teams. And by the way, he doesn't have to be that person, he or she. You can make them a hero by being the growth hacker and figuring out the next new initiative and so on. So I do think that's an important concept. And I love it. So the scar comes from over-investing in one specific type instead of diversifying it. Is that- that's, ex- that's exactly right. And I think the, 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 the skill or the challenge is knowing when you want to flip particular initiatives or processes from the growth hacker to the process person. And I think that was also a scar. Oftentimes we, we've kind of ridden the growth hacker too long. And as a result, we haven't been able to scale as efficiently or quickly. And other times we brought the process person in so quickly that we didn't actually have the actual strategy figured out quite yet. Um, and so I think you got to have that mix. So before we go on to your other scars, and this is awesome. I, I'm, this is already a killer conversation, Dan. I'm loving this. Um, how do you do that? So how do you make sure you have a diversified people portfolio? Any best practices? Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, you know, to me, I think early on, it's easy to find the growth hackers, especially at a startup because no one else wants to join your company. Um, <laughs> and so I think uh, early on, there's some self-selection there. To me, I think the question is, is at what point do you feel like the growth hackers have gotten enough proof of concept that you feel like it's time to bring in the scale person? And so for us, you know, we, we're, we're heavy on data and analytics, and this could perhaps segue into another uh, scar around the importance of investing in an operations sales ops capacity. But, uh, you know, we, we felt like we could utilize the data that the growth hackers provided. And as a result of assessing that and understanding that data could make decisions on, okay, we think it's time to scale here. Uh, who's the right person to do it? Are they in-house or do we need to bring in someone from the outside? And is that a process person or, or are there other things we can need to continue to figure out? So I think it is heavily a data exercise. But as you, as you know better than anyone, it's also a people management exercise. Um, you know, a lot of these individuals on the growth hacker side want to develop and grow their career. They want a chance at management. And I do think you have to have a, 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 a willingness to let some of these folks try and perhaps fail uh, at being the one to try and scale it and convert from growth hacker. I love it. So that's a killer uh, scar. That's a killer best practice. What's another one? As you've gone through this scaling, again, from zero to over 100 people and you know, I don't even know what your multiple is. Your sales are going so crazy. You, you, you are doing what people say they're going to do. What's sure. the next kind of, as you've gone through it, as you look back, what's the scar coupled with what's the best practice? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the second one that I'd bring up and I just alluded to is the, the importance of investing in a sales operations and enablement capacity, right. Uh, or, or program. So, you know, we, we early on, I think under invested and what happened was, is the bulk of then your, strategic thinking and analytics has to happen from your sales leader. Well, while the sales leader is also trying to hire, interview, ensure that there's production, ensure that everything's going well, and you're also asking them to uh, figure out um, all the answers to the analytical questions of size, scale, growth rate, uh, forecasting, et cetera, and not to mention training and, and onboarding a bunch of new reps, uh, we underinvested there. And so we actually uh, embarked in a uh, kind of a, a study, we interviewed a lot of, you know, SaaS companies that we really looked up to. And what we found was that early on in their scaling uh, curve, they overinvested in that kind of sales ops and enablement capacity to the point where in some businesses, it was as low as six reps to one enablement or ops professional. Um, and of course, as the team scaled, that ratio didn't need to persist. But early on, uh, kind of over investing early in an operations enablement, I think is the scar that we did not you know, 
realize until maybe it was a little too late at times. So what would you recommend you do instead for people that are listening to this? How, how would you change that? Yeah. So I think to me, um, you have to very early on decide to build a foundation in two core areas. One is, of course, the onboarding, training, and enablement concept and having someone who can be dedicated to building uh, playbooks and content uh, that, that the new reps that join can very quickly learn. Obviously, early on in businesses' growth curve, they rely a lot on tribal knowledge. And I think sometimes you rely on that too much. And what happens is, is that first generation where all the tribal knowledge was obtained trains the second generation, but you're scaling so quickly that pretty quickly the second generation is training the third. And immediately you insert telephone components to your training and onboarding that I think are, are, can be really detrimental. And you, you'll get this degradation in quality that I think can be overcome if you invested early in an enablement. Uh, so it, it's like avoiding that phone game that you played when you were a kid, when you sit in a circle and you say something and it gets translated and things get lost in translation. That's, That's what exactly you're saying. Right. Yep. Yep. Have, have it so tight that that second generation comes in and that enablement person is training them. The third generation comes, they're training them and it's the same consistent message that they're hearing across, you know, all the different things that they need to learn. Really um, good. But the second element there is really the ops angle and ops can encompass a lot of different things, but it's everything from compensation plan construction to compensation payment, unless you have a finance team that does that, to uh, territory planning and building, to account scoring and uh, systems and all of the things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, we, we hired one guy, uh, this is one of my favorite stories, and we said, hey, look, your sales ops and your sales systems, and you're also going to do our accounts receivable collection. I mean, he had this like very random assortment of jobs. <laughs> and, you know, he went at it early and he went at it in a really great way. And before you know it, there's three teams that emerged from just this one guy's efforts. And, you know, now we have a sales ops team, we have a sales systems team, and we have an accounts receivable team. And this guy was really that pioneer. Uh, but we had to invest early there. And we probably should have brought more support earlier for him to do that really right. It's funny that you say that. We've had a couple of other people on the show that are also really successful leaders like yourself say that that's one of the most important things to get right. And the sooner you get it right, the more successful you'll be. Um, so it's exactly what you're saying. And I'm glad that, that you're reinforcing that because it's true. It's hard for you to be an effective leader if the operational side of things isn't really buttoned up. Is, That's exactly right. That? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, well, and, and we live in the great day and age of, of these wonderful uh, software solutions that give us so much data to the point where I think sometimes sales programs underinvest in their ability to use that data to make really important decisions about when and how and to scale and what strategies are working and what aren't. And so finding a couple of these analytical types, these money ball nerds <laughs> and yep. having them sit on your team and maybe they can't speak the language of the salesperson, but they can, they can do things that I think really help supplement you as a sales leader, especially as you're trying to flip the switch to scale. Really good one. So I got two in there. I got the portfolio people and I got getting the, getting the ops and enablement right. What's, what's next for you? Yeah. So this next one's kind of an interesting one and I hope I can articulate it well. Um, you know, I think what happens in scale mode is that you start to hire people, you start to try and build rep replicable processes. And what happens though, and depending on your product and your product market fit, is you'll start to have some segmentation occur, whether it's on, uh, you know, company sizes, think SMB versus mid-market versus enterprise, or maybe industry verticals. And as a result of that, process will ultimately diverge in some way. Um, and I think what happens is, is oftentimes uh, as, a, as a result of trying to optimize for scale, 
you treat each of these segmentations that occur, these splits, you try and kind of find a lowest common denominator process, person, comp plan, and KPIs to really uh, kind of fit every single person and process and, and segment. And we learned the hard way that that's just not the right way to do it. So like, let me, let me explain. We, we started off by building and really focusing on the SMB small business and mid-market side. And what we found was it was relatively transactional in our business model, which meant we should hire a certain type of uh, person, which meant that we could compensate them in a certain type of way. Perhaps more of their comp would be variable than less. And, you know, the KPI was going to be, hey, flip a lot of these deals fast. Um, well, as soon as we started to figure out, hey, we need to move into the enterprise, at, at, we, we kind of assumed a one-size-fit-all approach and rolled out similar comp plans, KPIs, and strategy thoughts around how it would work in the enterprise. Well, look, I, you know, maybe this was a learning curve for me, but obviously the enterprise is just a different beast. And as a result of it, we, we settled on what we call a, a, a team alignment model, which is basically, hey, before we roll out any comp plan or, or, or hire a new person, we need to know the following five things. We need to know what's the person we're looking for and the persona and their disposition and their skill set. Are they uh, a strategic salesperson or are they a transactional, you know, uh, move fast, move quick type, type persona? We need to understand uh, what team are they going to sit on? You're not going to put the transactional person on an enterprise team and you're not going to put the right. strategic person on an SMB team, obvious. Right. Uh, and, and of course, then the strategy and how that aligns with the KPIs we're going to measure you have to build metrics that map to that person's disposition and the strategy you're employing towards. And of course, at the end of the day, the comp plan has to incentivize those KPIs. So we've built an alignment model. It's in Lucidchart. I could, I could share it with you. But every time we launch a new initiative or a new team or at the end of year as we're reviewing our teams and comp plans, we always push everything through this model. And it really helps us make sure that there's a good alignment with what the team is doing, the people, the comp, and the KPIs. So, so that's a really awesome law and that's a really awesome thing to get right so what's the most common way you get it wrong then so i mean I, this sounds so cool and I'm, I'm trying to think for our listeners how do they self-assess right. getting it right and getting it wrong is that does that make sense yeah well it's funny i was i was helping my kid with their homework the other day and um we couldn't figure out the answer to this math problem. And I, I, I just told her, Hey, have you ever heard of guess and check? <laughs> and the idea is of course that you just make a guess and you figure out what the answer is and you see if it's right. And if it's not, you try again. <laughs> I think, I think, I think this model very much is a guess and check model. I mean, you're never going to nail it at the beginning. And so I think the idea is, is you, you, you come out with your best hypothesis. You, you sit down with the team. You're very open and about this is how we think this is going to work. And you know, in scale mode, you know, it's like dog years, uh, you know, every quarter is really like a year. And so I think it's really probably on the half year is the guidance that at least we've incorporated. You have to sit down and you have to review it and say, yeah. hey, is this working or do we need to do a different guess and check? And so you know, hopefully it calibrates to get to the right model over a couple quarters. And that's going to be important for two reasons. One is you're doing the guess and check, but the other is the company's going to evolve too, right? I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, things change so quickly, right? I mean, what you guys are selling now with your Lucid Chart for Sales is is a little different than the original Lucid Chart. So you've well, had to build that whole thing. And it's a great example of having to put it through our our, our alignment model because that's a more traditional B two B sale for us. Yeah. And as a result, we need a different type of person, a different KPIs, and different comp plans versus our land and expand transactional model on the other end. So for the listeners, don't feel bad if you're in the guess and check model because that's what's worked for you. It's just make sure you keep checking and not just keep guessing, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, that's where you really have to put a lot of faith in your managers and, and, and getting that communication, which is 
probably a good segue into a last, you know, scar or another scar for scaling is, you know, how you communicate, but you really have to rely on your managers and your reps to provide that feedback. And, you know, reps will always tell you their comp wrong, but I think you, you've got to be able to filter, you got to filter through that. But like, I think that it requires a lot of really open communication and transparency, especially early. There's a lot of things the reps will always tell us. It's never their fault exactly, when they lose exactly, too, right? Exactly. exactly, yeah. But don't get me wrong. I love the reps. I love sales. It's the profession I love above all others. But Absolutely. But that guess and check, I love that. That's I've not heard it that way, and I love it. So keep on making your very best guesses, but have a structure for how you're going to keep checking and make sure that company evolution is just part of who we are, right? Yep, that's exactly right. Okay, take us home with the last one, and then we'll shift gears out of this one and and this has been awesome. I can't wait to hear the last one. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the last one to me is around uh, uh, really communication, right? So the, the, the byproduct of scale and, you know, for better or for worse, best management practices has been to layer in different segments into your org chart. So, you know, when you're first uh, building a team, you're directly engaged with the sales reps. You're hearing everything they have to say and everything that they're doing. But of course, then by, by virtue of scale, you hire a manager to manage one group, and then you have another group come in and you have another manager there. And as a result, as a sales leader, you're each, you know, by, by virtue of your scaling effort, you're distancing yourself from the end sales rep, which of course is distancing yourself from the customer. And what we found was that uh, going back to really the telephone concepts, that communication both from the end rep, you know, coming from the customer, but also from the top down, from the leader going to the rep, we were losing a lot of the important components of our communication as it passed through the different layers of the teams. And I think this is a challenge for a lot of different teams and programs. And, um, you know, candidly, we, we learned the hard way where I felt like I had communicated everything very clearly to my managers. And then I'd talk to the reps and they would have heard something completely different. I mean, it was fascinating how the message somehow changed. And so we had to insert what we thought were a couple of different strategies to kind of close that communication cycle and loop. Um, some of them I think you'll probably really appreciate at Exploit. I mean, obviously the one-on-one -on -one with your managers and of course the managers with their reps is a critical element of making sure communication is clear. And so every single one of our managers has a one-on-one -on -one document. Uh, we give them as much guidance as we can to include certain core concepts in that one-on-one -on -one document that are key communication principles. Hey, uh, as we start the one-on-one, -on -one, certainly want to know how you're doing, but here are two or three things I need to make sure are communicated clearly to you. Uh, and, and everyone's communicating that same message in the one-on-one, -on -one, which I think is uh, a really important component of making sure that communication happens. Can I ask uh, a question about that for your, yeah, from your yeah. perspective? So there's some recent data, uh, a study that just came out not too long ago that Keenan was the architect of and Gong and, and X1 sponsored. Um, it was interesting. More than half of reps say they never get one-on-ones. Right. And 83% of the managers of those reps all say that not only do they do it, but they're awesome at it. <laughs> Fascinating. Any thoughts in your mind is you've got communication and one-on-ones are so high. Any, any top of mind thoughts on how do you make sure that a rep and a leader stays in alignment on what, what counts for good one-on-ones and what, what makes for good communication? Yeah, you know, actually, this is a really interesting question you're asking because I just had an experience the other day that, that was really enlightening for me. So, um, First of all, I think, you know, human psychology and behavior, I won't pretend to be an expert on it, but certainly uh, just that data you shared has really has me thinking because the thought is, is that, as, you know, I think when, when a sales leader gets in a one-on-one -on -one or a manager gets in a one-on-one -on -one and if they consume more of the airtime, I think the rep is going to feel like it wasn't a valuable use of their time. Uh, and what I, what I mean by that is I think there's real power 
in the one-on-one -on -one context of focusing on inquiry and question asking versus advocacy and telling them what to do. So I had, just the other day, I had an experience with a, a member of our team. He's a top performer, but I could tell he was struggling with some things. And I, I ended up spending the entire one-on-one -on -one just doing discovery. I mean, it was 100% question asking. And it was fascinating because coming out of that one-on-one, -on -one, relative to past one-on-ones where I'm in there preaching to him about how he should be doing something, uh, <laughs> he, he, he came out and he, his, it was almost like burdens had been lifted from him. It was almost like he'd come out of a, a session of counseling where he felt like, wow, I really was able to communicate what I needed to communicate. And thank you for listening. And I, I, the valuable lesson for me was that oftentimes we might think that the one-on-one -on -one needs to be a, a time for us to communicate downward all the things we're hearing from our, you know, the CEO or the business. But maybe uh, we should overweight on getting that upward communication. How are you doing? What's on your mind? How can I help you? What are the things you're dealing with? What are your challenges? And I think that I, I imagine if that was the practice that those, those, uh, that, that poll results might change. At least that's one thought. What a great story. And I'm really glad you shared that because I think that we had another uh, person on the show that said very similar to what you just said, Dan. Uh, he said that as he's been watching the one-on-ones, when, when he knew they were right is when the, <clears throat> the leader stopped talking at the rep and instead yeah. the rep was doing 80 to 85% of the talking. So. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. That's brilliant stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I mean, we certainly could do better at that, but I think that's a, a good concept there. Um, cool. Well, I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but when you brought up the one-on-ones, what are the other parts of the communication that you think fuels, <clears throat> fuels that whole, that whole scar and that best practice? Yeah. I mean, this one might be an obvious one, but I think it's an underutilized principle and it's the idea of the skip level. Um, you know, I think, uh, oftentimes, especially in scale mode, when your, your, your teams are doing that mitosis thing and splitting really quickly, uh, there's real value in creating the time to skip your manager or the manager level or the director level or whatever, you know, levels below you and get into that next level and do a quarterly, at least one-on-one -on -one or meeting with them. I mean, best case scenario, you take them out to lunch and it gives them a chance. They feel like they're able to, you know, pick your brain and learn and feel like they're a little bit tighter, tight, more tightly connected with the strategy and the future of where the business is heading. But I found that you learn a ton of information about stuff that just wasn't getting to you via your one-on-ones with your directs. And also, you're able to be directly communicating the vision, the ideas, uh, key focus areas directly to these, the skip level employee in a way that they're able to say, okay, I've got it straight from the horse's mouth, no more telephone game. So we've, we've instituted quarterly skip levels across all of our teams. You, you, if, you're, if you have a direct report who has direct reports, you have a quarterly one-on-one -on -one with those individuals. And uh, it's really meant to just, again, shrink the communication uh, supply chain, so to speak. And I think it's done a really good job of making sure everyone's more tightly aligned. We even do it up to our CEO. I mean, the guys that report to me, they'll, they'll do a, a, a monthly skip level to our CEO, Carl, more in an email form, occasionally one-on-one -on -one form. But, you know, it, just, it, it allows him to get information that he just isn't getting in his 30-minute to an hour-long one-on-one with me because we're, you know, chasing a bunch of other things at the same time. See, I think that's brilliant. I remember hearing you talk about that when I watched you give a, that speech at Dreamforce. And I don't think enough people – I loved how you said this might seem obvious – I actually think not enough organizations implement that because I work with companies in 19 countries around the world and I rarely hear that, that tactic being used. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Any kind of best practices on making sure that skip level does happen? Well, so we, we just have it as a repeating cal calendar item. Um, but I will say a, a best practice element to this is, you know, doing something outside the office, like taking some, taking your, your colleagues to lunch, 
like there's there's this concept and you know in paying for it <laughs> you know yeah. don't be cheap like <laughs> there, there's there's this concept of reciprocity <laughs> in psychology where you know you do something nice for somebody and they want to do something nice for you and i just think when you do that with your skip levels it's it's like being in the trenches with them just for a few moments and they it, it, it does i think really it really does wonders when they say hey look i'm spending time with the leader of the team or the leader of the org and i'm getting information directly but we, we make it a quarterly or monthly. It's on the calendar. Um, you know, the executive assistants uh, here, they'll actually send out reminders about it. And so we, we try and be really deliberate. We've built a template that they can fill out with just some key concepts. So we make sure we cover, um, you know, some of the real important things like, hey, tell me about the people on your team and how they're doing. Or, hey, tell me some things that we, you think we should be doing differently. Like we, we try and make some of the agenda repeatable. So that way um, there's some structure around it. Really good. Anything else inside that communication? Uh, I think, I mean, those are the, the those are the big ones. Those are awesome. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we'll do our all hands meetings. You know, we try and do a couple other things just to make sure that we have moments of, hey, everyone be together and hear everything the same way. And as you might imagine, we have, still have to repeat things quite a few times, but we've tried to use multi-channel to do that as well. So we're running up on time. I can't believe this is what I told you would happen. And we're at 30 <laughs> minutes and I, I still have stuff I wanted to ask you. I, I'm probably going to have to be hitting you up to come back again, Dan, because we're going to have so many people that want to hear what you have to say. I do want to ask a couple of things though. Based on what your best practices were, um, one of the things that it's, I, I detected some like passion and energy around, and it's such a hot topic, I want to make sure that I, I get a little more, easy to understand and playbook and execute playbooks. You, know, you talked yeah. about having playbooks, and when you did, you had a little more pace and a little more volume, and uh, I was like, that guy likes playbooks and making them easy. And there's, everybody's talking about playbooks. How do you operationalize them? How do you make them? How do you make them get used? Can you talk about how you've done that at Lucid? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, um, we use Lucid Chart. So you know, very, very. Uh, I'm, I'm going going big on Lucid Chart on this one. Um, you know what we what we'll do as is you we'll, should, my friend, as you so, should. And everyone can sign up. It's a free application. So you know, we um uh we we get in a room every week, and the the, the stakeholders are uh, sales leadership, sales enablement, sales ops. And uh, oftentimes our customer success counterparts, just so they understand what we're working on. And we will literally construct very detail-oriented, here are the steps you would have to take in order to run a particular play that we know will work. So, for example, in our business, we get inbound leads. We've articulated step-by-step, view-by-view in Salesforce, uh, in a lucid chart hyperlinked diagram that any sales rep can put in front of them all the different steps that at least in best practice we've discovered will help you to be successful. Uh, certainly we don't want our reps to be robots and we expect them to use their own skills and talents to, to sell, but we've tried to very articulately build in lucid chart playbooks that tell the reps step-by-step step, here are the things that you could do to be successful. And we use our hyperlinking features to connect them to Salesforce views and this type of thing. So they can literally just kind of drill down into each step, make sure that they're staying up to date on the different tasks and that sort of thing. So we've, we've taken the construction of playbooks and the literal delivery of them very seriously. We meet weekly with the, the stakeholders to build them and we then train on them weekly. Uh, and of course, as you might imagine, as they get better and improve, they become a key input into our onboarding so that the new reps are able to get onboarded quicker. And uh, we find that in the second screen that these sales reps have open, you know, they're toggling between Salesforce and their Lucid Chart playbook that, that allows them to kind of click through the different steps that they're trying to engage with. All right. I, I have to stop there. I could do a whole episode with you on playbooks. I think it's that important of a topic for sales leaders right now. 
um, maybe that's what you and me will go deeper on because I, yeah, I, I, I'm already liking your way of doing that. And I guess the follow-up would be, does that way – do you blend your account mapping as part of your playbooks to go deep in accounts? Is that- yes, yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, in our, in our more uh, enterprise and strategic segments of our, our business, um, we really utilize Lucidchart's account mapping feature. It's an integration with Salesforce. It brings in all the contacts from a given account and really allows you to understand how deep have we gone into that account. I mean, quick anecdote. We had one rep say, hey, I've got this deal. I'm for sure it's going to close. And we said, well, show us your account map. And he had one person on the account map. And I said, hey, I have a, a, a sneaky feeling this deal is not going to happen because you have not engaged with all of the different stakeholders at this account. And so we've found that by using an account map, by using it in our coaching and one-on-one sessions, by getting more of these contacts on the map, we go deeper into accounts that lead to bigger deals. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And we're, we're big you know, dog food eaters on that one from our own you know, product usage perspective. So this will be the last question before I, I firm it up then and we wrap it up the way I'll wrap up everything. Based on what you just said, man, I, I love your way that you look at it. How important is having a good account map as part of deal coaching? Because deal chasing and deal right. coaching are two different things. Yep. When you're coaching a deal, how important is having a good account map in making effective deal coaching? Yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's critical. You know, so you're a sales manager, a sales leader, you're trying to manage pipeline expectations to be able to sit down in a business review and say, pull out your account map, walk me through this. You say you have a $20,000 opportunity at this account. You say you have a $50,000 opportunity at this account, uh, prove it. And in, in what happens is they spin up their account map. They walk through the different people that they've engaged with. We use conditional formatting on our maps to kind of show who are the champions versus who are the detractors. And as a result, we're able to have a really good conversation. Have you identified the finance team? Have you identified legal? And, and, and it allows for some rigor in ensuring that the rep is not over-optimistic, which we all are, about the, the, the probability of their deal actually happening. And I'll tell you where it really blows minds is when we bring our CEO into the meeting and we have our reps put it up on a, a screen and say, here's all the different individuals I've talked with. It would be great if you could lob an email into this CEO at this company or you could help me with this. I know, that he, I know that he likes this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, the conversation changes. All right. So next time we have you, we're going to talk more about that too. But deal coaching is a high topic that we talk about here. And, you know, I think you might be the first person to talk about account mapping as part of a deal coaching. And that's why I'm glad you brought that up. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for letting me. Yeah. This was a killer. Uh, this was a killer conversation. I always kind of wrap things up two ways. The first one is I asked, what's the, what's the you know, most challenging leadership challenge that you've had in, in your leadership career? Yeah. Well, look, I think at the end of the day, we've talked a lot about it here. I mean, this scaling thing is no joke. And, you know, the thing about tech companies, especially, is there's no, there's no end to the thirst for growth. Like you could kill it. And the next year, they're going to ask you to kill it again. And so to me, the biggest challenge has been a kind of operationalizing how you scale, which is a never ending quest. It's continual guess and check. And then the second component candidly is like, how do you take care of yourself and how do you make sure that you don't run yourself into the ground? And, mm-hmm. you know, I've learned this one again, scars wise, not physical scars, but like, you know, you, you, you've got to find time for the things that matter in your life. You've got to, you know, set boundaries and otherwise you could spend all your waking moments thinking about it. And sometimes you still do. Uh, but, you know, finding ways to make sure you're taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, taking care of your relationships and so on, I think is pretty critical there. I'm glad you brought that one up too. I, I think that we always give our A game to our company and sometimes we forget that we just as much have to give our A game to ourselves and our family as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that we should mention that more often if I'm honest with you. So I'm glad you brought that up. Last one, man. Leaders are readers very often. We're, the great leaders are always off, 
on the quest for getting smarter and getting learning more. And, and many times that means they read. Any any books that you would say that a high growth leader ought to have uh, in their library? Yeah, you know, this is a good question. I mean, there's so many dang good books out there right now. Um, you know, I'll tell you the one that like I always come back to, and I, I and it's probably old school, and maybe it's not that exciting, but I, I read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People every year. Awesome yeah. book. It Love is. It. It's a fascinating book, and I find that the principles in there are just are core to being good in sales and good in management. Okay, we'll add that to our high growth library. That one has not been recommended yet. You got us a new one for the library. We love it. We'll add that to the website. Dan, I can't believe we went over, but I want to thank you. You, you've been an awesome guest, and the the growth that you've done from zero intentional sales to just this massive machine that you've created. I want to tip the cap and give you you know kudos on a job well done. Um, but thank you for sharing some of your secrets and your blueprint with us and our listeners today. Thank you very much. Hey, really appreciate you having me. Congrats on the success at Explain as well. Thank you. How, how do our leaders get more from you, my friend? How do they get more Dan Cook? How do they get more Lucid? How do they learn all the rest of that stuff? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, uh, uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. It's Dan Cook uh, at Lucid Software uh, uh, or shoot me an email. It's dan at lucidchart.com. would love to connect and share best practices. Um, and certainly, I uh, would encourage you all to check out lucidchart.com and check out our sales solution. It's pretty exciting. And you can, you can Google Lucid Chart for sales and learn all about it. Dan, you're outstanding. I love your approach to coaching. I, I hope that because you shared the scars that you get, we can avoid the scars with the rest. And with that, Dan, I want to wish you happy selling and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that even matter? And Dan Cook's a stud. I, I had a lot of people recommend that I talk to Dan Cook and, and I know him a little bit and it was great to get to know him a little bit better on the, on this interview. And man, you know, he started with uh, a reference to the Red Sox, uh, and me with my beloved Dodgers. I, I had to interrupt him and tell him that now this was about the Dodgers. He was right from the very beginning of the interview that the Red Sox were going to be the top team. In fact, he even had that confidence where he said, we'll just see how that goes. And guess what? Dan was right with everything else he brought up in this interview as well. I, I love how he finished it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start and finish this uh, breakdown with, with a quote that he finished with where he said, scaling is no joke. And so this is the Sales Leadership Podcast where we talk about how to get in and stay in high growth mode. And we've had a lot of killer leaders that are all in high growth mode. And Dan's the first one to bring this perspective where he said, scaling is no joke. And he's right. Even if you're a big, mature company, you still got to grow. We sign up for that more button when we take a job in sales. We for sure sign up for a more button when we take a leadership job because we don't get to be an individual contributor anymore. We have to lead a team. And scaling is no freaking joke. And so I loved it. He gave us a number of things. Uh, he tied into some lessons learned. And I saw him give a, a killer presentation at Dreamforce on the scars that come from scaling. Uh, if you want to go to the Dreamforce site, I'm sure you can probably get the video of it. I would highly recommend it. Uh, I, I went and attended that, and that's why I wanted him on this episode. But there's five things that jump out. I'm not going to re re regurgitate all of them. I mean, he starts with empathy. My thoughts around empathy are he's dead on. But uh, I really believe that one of the things that leaders do is they lose touch on how their products are sold. And I think some of the great ones, they make sure they keep those skills sharp. Every now and then they're going on calls. Every time they're picking up the phone, they're pre-call planning. Don't, don't get disconnected from what's going on in your market because that's the fastest way to lose your effectiveness as a leader, in my opinion. You for sure have to have sold something. 
I think it's best that you can sell your product, though. Um, I work with sales leaders around the world, and when those sales leaders really aren't adept at selling their product, it's super hard to be a relevant leader. He really got going, though, when he started talking about diversity. I loved his concept of people as a portfolio. And he said, don't lose track of the fact that, fact that you need those inventors. One of my favorite uh, sayings from my mentor is, when in doubt, send out a scout. You need those people that can continue to go find the next green fields and the, the next blue oceans. And, and let's not overinvest in one, in one type. I really like that, that he said, even when you've got the company off the ground, don't forget to have that inventor, that growth hacker, that pioneer. And I think he's dead on. I think as companies get big, one of the reasons that we lose our our ability to hustle, our ability to be nimble, or our ability to be entrepreneurial is because we don't have that that builder. And I think that that's maybe one of the greatest assets that a company will have. So be really intentional about keeping those people. I love this conversation on number three about ops and enablement. I thought that uh, that conversation was great. It reminded me of my interview with Scott Lee, where he said that's the first hire that you should always have, that if you don't get that right, you're going to struggle. In fact, I loved uh, what, what uh, Dan said, that we've got to get away from tribal wisdom mode. And he's right. We want to make sure that we have the ability to play money ball with our team. And if you don't have that right person, you're not going to be able to. But he finished strong with the alignment model and the communication plan. And, and guess and check was awesome. Just make sure you're doing more checking than guessing. Uh, amen. But when he talked about communication, it reminded me of an epic movie from years ago that many of you may remember, many of you may not have seen, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where Jeff Spicoli comes into class and he brings a pizza in, has a pizza delivered and said, since it's our time, I thought we'd share a pizza. He talked great. Dan talked so well about making sure that every rep has their time. You know, through one-on-ones and skip levels and making sure that you have systems so people have communication tailored to them. My question to you is, what is your, are you having the Jeff Spicoli moments where your reps are really coming to you saying, since it's our time, I thought we'd talk about this. I loved how he said that he in a one-on-one just had someone that felt like it was almost a confessional and they left, you know, with their spirits lifted. Make sure you've created that environment. Your reps have meetings every day, every week, every month, all year long. Zero of those meetings are 100% about them unless they're having a one-on-one done the right way. And Dan said it. It's an easy trap to fall into that you as the leader are preaching. You as the leader are talking. Don't fall into that trap. Make sure that they can have their Jeff Spicoli moment and say, since it's our time, I thought we'd blank. Make sure that you have that moment, okay? I can't wait to hear from you guys as you share with me your Jeff Spicoli moments. And finish again with scaling is no joke. That's why he got so animated about playbooks. They need to give a well-lit path to success. Not just definitions of stages, not just definitions of activities, but a well-lit example on how do you win. So I hope you enjoyed Dan. Go back and listen to that one over and over again. And, And again, I... I'm so appreciative for all of the success for the show. I appreciate the feedback that you're giving me. We appreciate the fact that we're getting so many downloads. Keep giving those uh, great reviews. If you like what you're hearing, please leave reviews so more people can find us. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Don't worry about a thing.
Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.